Thank you, Melody. Well, next week, our nation will celebrate another anniversary. Next week, we're going to celebrate the day that representatives from the 13 original colonies gathered together and they signed a declaration of independence. And one of the most famous lines from that, in that declaration of independence is this. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There are words in that sentence that we could ponder and reflect on and really dive into to consider all that it is, but it's not scripture, so we're not going to meditate on that too much. But I think there, it, it relates to today, so which is why I want to bring it up. But think about this. Think about the worldview of those people who penned those words, who signed their names to that document. They believed that every human being was created, that we are endowed by our creator. They also believed that every human being was created equal and that we have certain things that, that cannot be taken away from us. We have, for instance, this unalienable right to life, the expectation and right to live. We have this right to liberty, the ability to make several choices and express some form of free will to choose to, to do the things, to be the people that God, that we believe God has called us to be. But also, we have this unalienable right to pursue happiness, to, to seek after some form of enjoyment in this life. And I, I want to talk about that just briefly, especially in light of Friday's decision. Friday's the release of the decision from the Supreme Court on Friday. Because thinking back to the Declaration of Independence and this decision, now the unborn have the same right to live that every, all of us who are this side of the womb have the right to do, at least at the federal level. The state of Maryland has already passed laws and codified that abortion is going to be legal. And so... This only deals with the federal level. But think about this. We have the unalienable right to life, to liberty. In light of this decision, there are many people who feel that their liberties have been restrained. It's a very real concern that many people will have. And yet the liberties of the unborn are being upheld. And some will feel that this decision by the Supreme Court inhibits their ability to pursue happiness. And my intention here is not to politicize the church, believe me. But I do want to reference this, the Declaration of Independence for a moment, really to think about this idea of happiness and and ask, well, what does that mean? What does it mean for you and me to be able to pursue happiness? 
Now, keep in mind, this is not our Constitution, and it's not Scripture. It's simply a document that made bold statements against what some felt to be an oppressive and overreaching and distant regime. And we could have added this to all the things we talked about in Carl's Sunday School class this morning. But think about the fact that all of us are created equal. What does equal mean? I believe it means equal in value. Though we could say that hasn't always been equitably applied, our nation has come a long ways in the 250 years of our existence. But as Christians, I think we could even include all people, men, women, boys, girls, people of every ethnicity and race are created in the image of God. But let's think about this idea of equality from another standpoint. Are we equal in ability? Experience tells us no. Each of us have different strengths and weaknesses. Each of us can do things different. We don't have the, we have differing abilities, desires, strengths. Is our equality an equality of experience? And again, logic tells us we have to say no. You go through things different than I go through. Your background is a little different than mine, and that's okay. If we're all equal in value, how do we deal with the inequities or the unfairness of the fact that some people are born with differing abilities? We could even say with disabilities. How do we... And how does an equal pursuit of happiness play into the fact that some people will be disadvantaged by abuse, by divorce, by disease, by sickness, by infertility, and so much more? And I I bring that up today because I think it relates to our text If you have your Bibles and want to open up to John chapter 9, that's where we're going to be. And and Melody basically read most of what we're going to cover today. We're going to highlight the entire chapter. And I I will just, I know my grammar teacher in high school said, never give any disclaimers. I'm going to make a disclaimer. And today's topic may strike some chords in some of us. Because suffering is a very real deal. It's something that all of us deal with in differing ways. And it's something that Scripture addresses, and I think we see it here. And and in this text, as I wrestled with this text this week, I thought, you know, am I I just cherry-picking this part of the story? As you know, we're walking through the book of John. But I'm thinking, am I cherry-picking this story to deal with this in this way? And part of the reason why I wanted to look at this idea of suffering in the healing of the man who was born blind is because the rest of the chapter really deals with so many things that we've already dealt with. As the Pharisees, as other people begin to argue back and forth about whether or not Jesus did right in this. So I want to, as we look at this, we're we're looking at the text. We're not going to get as complete a picture as we might do that. But anyways, just hang with me. Also, you'll notice that in your notes, there are no notes. So you can draw. You can take notes however you want. I've got two main points and a lot of little things to reflect on. 
But, but I believe that all of those disadvantages or inequities could fall under this broad category of suffering. Because suffering can take a variety of forms. Suffering shows up in a variety of different ways. The, the, the dictionary on my computer defines suffering in this way as, as the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. Equally valued in creation, but we are not equally experienced because, in part, of suffering. So let's begin our investigation of God's word by, by considering the question of suffering. So if you want to take notes, that's really my first big point, the question of suffering. And we see this in John chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. And let me read that for us again. John writes, as he passed by, he meaning Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born Blind. Now, now I, you know, it's easy for us to just kind of race past that question, but think about all the things that that question implies. Because these guys clearly had a theology or a practical theology that said, if something bad happens, if, something, if I'm experiencing something bad, it must be a result of something bad I've done or someone else has done. And, and it was common in the first century that suffering is directly related to sin. And they're not alone. There are many parts of the world where people would agree something bad or something evil that someone did would have caused the man to be born blind. But, but think about the natural outworking of their question. Did this man sin, he was born blind, or his parents in order for him to be born that way? How could he sin in the womb? Now, I know some of you moms have had rambunctious children I used to love sticking a flashlight on Danielle's belly when Zach was in utero, and, and he would push up against it. And it was just kind of fun. We were playing with him. But was he sinning because he was overly punchy in the womb? I, don't know. I mean, think about their question. Or did he will, was he willfully rebellious before he was born? Clearly, this man's blindness was a hardship, and it must have a logical source. So let's think about what are the sources of suffering? Where does suffering come from? One, we might say suffering comes from as consequences of our own actions. When I was a kid and I talked back to my mom, the natural response, the good and clear, just response of my mom to spank my butt was a clear consequence, and I suffered. My backside suffered because I did wrong. When I got a C in college calculus and barely passed a correspondence course in English, I clearly suffered lower grades because I didn't make the mark. I didn't do enough. It was a clear consequence of my own actions. But in addition to that, as Christians, we can look at, well, we can see that there are also consequences. Suffering happens as a consequence of the actions of others. We could say collateral damage, if you will. Several months ago, you guys may know, Danielle was rear-ended by a high school student. She was driving a Jeep, and the Jeep, being a taller vehicle, pushed Danielle's car into another vehicle, creating a Volvo sandwich. And airbags went off, and the car was totaled. And, and, and so Danielle, you know, our, our car clearly suffered. Um, 
But that was a clear consequence of someone else's actions. And Danielle has been going to Pat at the Poolsville Physical Therapy to get her shoulder worked on for months now as a result of someone else's actions. But as Christians, we also can see that not only are cons- are, do we suffer from our own actions, from the actions of others, but we also suffer as a consequence of living in a fallen world. You see, the original sin of Adam and Eve has borne outcomes in this world that we're, we could say were not initially intended by God, but if God is sovereign, then everything has an allowance in his mind, which is why he's had a plan of salvation from the beginning of the world. But I don't think we fully understand the extent of our fallen world's consequences this side of eternity. I mean, just think about it in longevity. If you've read through the book of Genesis, you know that some people lived very long lives. I mean, upper 900 years. And basically, God told Adam and Eve in the, in the, in the curse from their sin in the garden, you will die. It just took them a millennia to do so. But when you look at how we are now, maybe our bodies, maybe what's happened in and around our world because of sin, God clearly said, I'm going to cap them off at 120. And eventually, people started living younger and younger lives. And if it weren't for medicine, some have suggested we might only live into our 40s. But there's another source that we have to think about. And that is a direct ordination of God. In one sense, if God is sovereign, and I believe he is, then all suffering is ordained by God. But there are sufferings that we must endure, that we must, get, can, that we must consider, that can only be explained by God's sovereign will. Why was this person born that way with that ability? Why did this person die at that time? Why did this person get that cancer? Danielle, one of the ladies on our prayer list is a a lady named Tanya Ayler. And her story is a very similar story to what a lot of us experienced as Jacqueline faced her cancer and eventually lost that battle as a young woman. If Tanya Ayler makes it to her next birthday. She will be 50 years old. The mother of four, a pastor's wife, just like Jacqueline. And it's not looking good. She's in trial after trial after trial, and the cancer that started one place is now basically everywhere. But some of us have experienced suffering because of a job loss or being overlooked for a promotion or an opportunity. And we think, why? God, I'm perfect for that role. Why would you have me not do that? Or why is it that some people who desperately want children can't have them? And those who are promiscuous and can't seem to control themselves seem to have children in abundance. God has a hand in our suffering, but I don't think he's tortuous in that. He's not playing with us. 
And in response to his disciples' question, Jesus seems to answer their question by helping them and us understand that suffering allows the works of God to be on display in unique and beautiful ways. Suffering allows the work of God to be on display in unique and beautiful ways. Look at what it says in your Bibles in verses 3 through 7. And Jesus answered, it was not this man It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And he went and washed and came back seeing. You see, this man was healed, a sign which brought fulfillment to prophecies that had been foretold hundreds of years earlier. If you want to write down this reference, Isaiah 29, 18 says that in that day, in the day of the Messiah, the deaf shall hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. Isaiah 35, 5 says, then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. So this man, Jesus doing this, I think for some people is saying, hey, this is the guy. Isaiah told us that the blind would see. But here's a a reality that we have to wrestle with. There were a lot of other blind people in Palestine at that time who did not receive their sight. There were a lot of people who died who were not brought back to life. There were a lot of lame people who were not healed. And there are people today who are not healed. Many good and godly people suffer with blindness, deafness, differing abilities, loss, and so much more. And I think in this chapter, we see that Jesus clearly heals this man. And we may think, yay, good for him, but what about me? God, why do I have to endure this this way? And you know, the Apostle Paul had a very similar question for God. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 9, he said, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Paul knew suffering. He understood it. And he clearly knew that, that God was allowing this suffering in his life to keep him humble. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. He, he knew that he needed that, as painful as it was. And yet he faced not only that physical trial, he faced prison he, he faced so many other things. In fact, he tells the church in Colossae, now I re- in the, this is Colossians 1.24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am, def- I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. 
And I realize there's a lot in there, and I, I don't have time to unpack all of that. But it's not that, Paul, that Christ's suffering was insufficient, but it's that in order for us to be put on display, maybe there is some suffering that has to go through us so that we can help people understand, hey, God is at work, even in the midst of this difficulty. Or what if we were to consider the life of Job? We sang a song that was inspired by him. As he lost everything, he lost his livelihood, he lost his wealth, he lost his children. And then the book spends 30 some odd chapters reflecting on loss. And he asks the question, why? And he gets to the end and God's answer is, trust me, I'm sovereign. I allowed that because I am God. And Job's response was, okay. You know, we could even consider things today, and I, I, we've all had varying types of sufferings, and I could rattle off mine, and you think, Joel, that's not suffering at all, and you're right, I don't think it is. But, but I want us to think, let's think back to this passage, looking in, in John chapter 9. Even though, so think about this. This man being born blind means that his body, his ocular nerves were likely not connected. There were things that were missing in his, in his physique. So God, in, in healing him, had to heal, had to put things together that were not there. And so, you know, it's not like he could just go see Tom and Robin and get a new set of glasses to have his vision corrected like, like I do. He needed something more. And the, and, but think about this. The very thing that he got, the very thing that I think his parents had hoped for from the time he was born, he got. And, and yet life didn't get better for him. If we were to read the next part of the chapter, in fact, his neighbors begin to question him in verses 8, eight to 12. They, they're saying, is this the guy? No, 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 that's not the guy because the guy was this. And, and they begin to question him. And then they take him to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders begin to say, so when did this happen? How did this happen? Are you sure you were born blind? No, you couldn't have been born blind. Who did it? And oh, if that guy was a man of God, he would not have done it on a Sabbath. His life got hard fast. It was okay as long as he suffered on his own and we just threw a few coins at him. But now that he's healed, we have to wrestle with all sorts of theological things. And the, the people in that synagogue, in fact, what ended up happening he got kicked out of church because he was healed by someone else on a day that that someone else ordained. He was healed on a Sabbath. He received the very thing he wanted, but it cost him virtually everything else. Even in the healing, there was suffering as he and his parents faced that crisis of faith. And yet there's another side of it. Eventually, this man came to faith. Jesus found him again and talked to him and said in, in uh, verses 35 to 41, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And in verse 37, Jesus says to him, you have seen him, which is now a new thing for him. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see. 
and those who see may become blind. So how is God glorified through suffering? How are we edified through suffering? John 9, 3 through 5, let me read this once again. It says, Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Milne, one of the commentators that I've been reading, says that Jesus links the disciples with himself in referring to his work in anticipation of his teachings that we'll see in chapters 13 to 16. And he continues, in a larger sense, it anticipates the coming ages when the risen Lord himself would be at work through his people. It's not that Jesus was going to go around and heal everybody and fix every problem and cure every disease, but he's going to cure some so that we could then be at work ministering grace and love and mercy. And it seems that, that Jesus is getting to the truth that the source of suffering is not as important. Hear this clearly. Why the suffering is happening is not as important as the ministry that God has called us to through that suffering. We have a part to play in God's work within the suffering of his people. And our suffering may not result in a happy ending. If I was this man born blind, I might also want to go back to being blind if I had to go through what he went through. The pursuit of happiness, as our Declaration of, Imp of Independence implies, or the pursuit of godliness, does not produce happily ever after of fairy tales. It does reveal the work of God in our lives and the dependence of God for our lives. So what? What does that mean for us? And let me just conclude with a couple comments. And one is that I think when we face challenges, when we face suffering, we need to continue to pray and seek God for his will in the midst of it. Suffering can be a sort of wake-up call. It can be like that medical diagnosis that causes some people to drastically change their lives because they know if they don't, they're going to be dead in a few years. Suffering becomes that kind of thing. In fact, there's a, the camp pastor this week, his name is Mark. He's a church planter in Philadelphia, a really cool guy. One of the passages that he references is a passage we like to put on T-shirts and on placards. And it says, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything through him who strengthens me. And we think, yes, Lord, I want to do everything. And as Mark said, uh, you know, it's great encouragement and great empowerment, but everything does not include giving me the ability to dunk a basketball without some sort of trampoline. But think about the context. In Philippians 4, here's Paul in prison. And he says this, Philippians 4, 10 to 13. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's not that Paul's trying to overcome, trying to get rid of the chains or get rid of the suffering. He's enduring through it. 
But secondly, in addition to praying, I think when we see others suffer, we want to begin asking, how can God be glorified through that? Is there something that we must do to step up and help? And I want to say I appreciate you guys so much stepping up for Jim and Annabelle. The meals that you've prepared, driving by their house and seeing that their grass needed to be mowed and their weeds needed to be removed and some things need to be painted. You guys are doing exactly, I think, what we are called to do as the body of Christ in the midst of the suffering that they're going through. Keep up the good work. But I think also in, in suffering, there's another thing that we have to be, be thinking about and that is that we need to pray to be faithful no matter what challenges may come. I mean, think about it. Joseph in the book of Genesis, he didn't ask to be sold into slavery by his brothers. He didn't ask to be wrongfully accused and imprisoned. He didn't ask to be in this foreign nation and yet God worked in him and allowed him to be faithful, called him to be faithful and used him in a powerful way to save millions of lives. We, look, we could look and ponder all day for months about the, the faithfulness of Job. In fact, next week, Pastor Aramal is going to talk about a situation in which, in which Jesus and his disciples would suffer through sacrifice only to be promised a reward in this life and in eternity, a promise that I believe is there for all of us who believe. We need to pray to be faithful in the midst of whatever suffering God allows us to encounter. As we close, I want to just read a brief email. While I was preparing this, my father-in-law happened to send an email, and he, he happened to quote Philippians 4.13, and he said this, in case, just to catch you up, my father-in-law is um, caring for his second daughter, Danielle's Iris twin, Teresa, who um, had a tumor removed last July and is still recovering. Um, here was his weekly update. He said, Dear family, this past week was a good week for eating and exercising again for Teresa. Like last week, Teresa's nausea episodes were few and we are thankful. More work is still needed for the eyes, and we thank you for your prayers. She has double vision, and her, her, the one good eye is not really all that good, and the bad eye is really bad. And she, he goes on to say she has an MRI, and we'll meet a neurosurgeon for an update, and please keep this in prayer. The challenge is still before us, he continues, and we have some distance to go for a full recovery, and your prayer support will be needed every step of the way. Thank you for staying with us on this journey. As I, as I mentioned, Teresa, Danielle's sister, Fletcher's daughter, had this tumor, and she went in for surgery, came out five days later, was home for a few days, and then she started getting really nauseous, and that put her back in the ICU for eight weeks. And she lost roughly 25% of her body mass. And now her, her body is not processing things right. Her, the, so Fletcher's working on helping her gain weight, but she wants to throw up when she eats, and so it's just this vicious cycle. And yet to see their faithfulness through this, is, is astounding. Uh, 
It was a joyous thing to be able to see that she got to go to her daughter's graduation. And she got to be there on the field watching her daughter finish high school. But I don't know if she'll ever work. She's 48 years old. She may never work again. She was a great athlete. She played volleyball, basketball, softball. She may never be able to do that again. And yet to see the way that God is working through Fletcher and Nancy, through their ministry and her life and the way it's blessing so many people, to see that God is redeeming Teresa's suffering for his glory. It doesn't feel good. It, suffering never feels good. But we must be faithful through it. Because I think what we do in suffering is we get that glimpse, as I said before, of the suffering that Christ has paid for us. Consider again Philippians chapter 2. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, when we suffer, we get to identify with a glimpse of what our Savior did for us. We won't be exalted above every name. That's his job. But we get to exalt his name while we suffer. Let's pray together. God, it is difficult to consider this topic. It is difficult to think about the way that you can somehow use suffering in our lives for your glory and for our good. And so, God, we pray that you'd help us to, to trust you in the midst of the challenges that we face. Help us to be faithful, to pursue you, that you might be glorified. Lord, we want desperately to understand the why. But above all, we pray that you would help us see that you are enough, that your grace is sufficient for us. Help us, strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.